And so when we think about what has happened this last 20 years with digital and e-commerce, what's been positive is that we've had this democratization occur where all of us can access information and products and services at the tip of our fingertips and a keyboard or a swipe or a click. But what that has done, I've felt, is it's created a digital to-do list and it's really transferred the work from the provider to the consumer. Hey everyone, welcome. I'm Ravi Gundlapalli, your host for the Mentorship Podcast, where I bring to you wonderful and powerful stories of mentorship from successful leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world. Today, we have a very special guest, Raj D. Datta, who is an entrepreneur, investor, and an author. Raj, welcome to the show. Ravi, it's great to be here with you. So before we start, I, I, want, to re, I want to let our listeners know a bit about you. So Raj is a co-founder and CEO of Bloomreach, a leading software platform for digital commerce experiences that powers brands representing a whopping 25% of retail e-commerce in the US and the UK. Raj is a multiple-time entrepreneur. And before launching Bloomreach, he was the entrepreneur in residence at Moore Davido Ventures. He served as Cisco's director of product marketing and was on the founding team of telecom company, Firstmark Communications. Raj was also um, a technology investment banker at Lazard Ferres, and he serves on the council floor for player development for the US Tennis Association. You know, Raj, I once had a podcast show with a tennis player. Okay. And uh, learned so much about how tennis teaches some, you know, want to be a good leader and a good mentor. Uh, Raj is also a founder partner at Seed Stage Venture Capital Firm, Founder Collective, and an individual investor in over 20 companies. Today, we're going to discuss about his new book, The Digital Seeker, which is the guide for digital teams to build winning experiences. He holds a bachelor's in electrical engineering with a certificate in public policy and international affairs from Princeton University and an MBA from none other than the most amazing Harvard Business School. Raj, it's truly an honor to have you on our show. And like we discussed you know, before the show um, a week or so ago, this show is all about celebrating mentorship, bringing to people some of the stories that you normally don't hear. Because one of the things that really annoys me when people feature them, uh, you know, this Fortune or Forbes says, you know, uh, self-made millionaires, self-made entrepreneurs. And I'm like, nobody's self-made. Even you as a human being, you're not self-made. Right. So it, it, it requires two people to come together. So I've always believed that uh, there are so many people who play an important role in our success. So that's why I launched this show to really let people tell their stories of how they became who, who they are today. So I want to start with a, um, you know, understanding that you are a very busy entrepreneur. Um, you are also involved in multiple startups. How did you find and also make the time to write a book and why? Yeah, you know, writing a book has always been a little bit on, on my bucket list. My father is a professor and he's written um, a couple of books. Uh, and I've always felt like it's a medium for deep communication in a way that blogs and 
and articles and short interviews don't don't convey. It's 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 still the way by which we get big ideas across. And so you know I've I've uh, had the good fortune of of running Bloomreach now for a number of years and through my investing, I often get the question. You know, you work with a lot of the winners and maybe some of the losers who use your software to to power their e-commerce and digital experiences. What makes the winners win, and what makes the losers lose? And so this book was my attempt to answer that question. So I wrote the book to try to uh, extract from my work, but also I, I did about a hundred interviews myself in the form of research to really articulate the distinct nature of what I call seekers. And, and so I really wrote the book to express those points of views across, to share my ideas. Certainly it's, it, it benefits our company, Bloomreach, but more important than anything else, I wanted it to be the playbook by which digital teams could get up every day and succeed together. Fantastic, fantastic. You know, I am in, in my book, The Art of Mentoring, I define mentorship as a human to human transfer of wisdom. And what you have done is, you know, with this book, shared your wisdom from your own experiences so that you know, millions can actually get impacted and really build great digital experiences. So what drew me actually is also the title. You know, I am a spiritual seeker. I am always looking for, why is it that I am here on this planet at this particular time? What's the purpose? You know, what is that homework that I have to do before I get ejected from the planet? Because I missed death twice. So why did you choose the title Digital Seeker? And I, I also see in your book, you differentiate a customer versus a seeker. Can you expand on that? Absolutely. So, you know, and I think, I think you're right to call out the spiritual backbone uh, of the book. And, uh, and the key question that I, I believe is the most important question is exactly the one you asked, which is why? What is the purpose? Why are you looking for what you're looking for? And often we, we think about that in a spiritual sense and, and rightfully so, but very much actually most of our interactions have a deeper purpose. And so when we think about what has happened this last 20 years with digital and e-commerce, what's been positive is that we've had this democratization occur where all of us can access information and products and services at the tip of our fingertips and a keyboard or a swipe or a click. But what that has done, I've felt, is it's created a digital to-do list and it's really transferred the work from the provider to the consumer. If When I used to organize a vacation before, I would call a travel agent, have a quick conversation, they would know me and they would organize the trip for me. Now, I'm the one doing the research on the car rental. I'm the one doing the research on the hotel. I'm the one doing the research on the flight, on which excursions to take. And I have lots of choice and the internet has given us that choice, but it, it's just created a lot of work for me as a consumer to go undertake the same task. And so, you know, what, what is revealed from the research is that that works fine. And really, actually, I would say Amazon has trained us well because we just go to Amazon, we do all the pre-thinking and we go look for it and buy it. And their work is easy, but we still have to do all that pre-thinking. And so what I found in, in winner after winner is they don't require the consumer to do all that pre-thinking before they show up. They try to solve the deeper problem. And, the, and, and so I call the higher order of motivation, the seeker, you know, and, and the seeker is the, is the person behind the customer. If, I, if I'm buying a flight ticket, I'm a customer of a flight ticket, but I'm a seeker of a memorable family vacation. I, if, I'm, if I'm 
buying some plywood. I'm a, I'm a customer of plywood, but I'm a seeker of a beautiful deck that I can, I can go entertain my friends. And it turns out that if you build those digital experiences for the underlying motivation or the seeker and not just the customer, then the, the degree of loyalty and differentiation that you accomplish keeps that person coming back at a, at, a, at a level that's much deeper than the simple transactional customer to provider relationship. You know, now I, now I can uh, you know, clearly see why you, why you and I hit it off because I wrote an article once called Engaging the Human Behind the Employee. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the employee as an employee, you just focus on them, what they're doing, and I always compare such companies to, you know, where an employee is, is no different than, you know, the, um, the copier, because they both do stuff. Right. And I talked about the human behind the employee, and you talk about the seeker behind the customer, which is That's just right. very, very, very profound. Much, very analogous. And what's interesting is this thinking has only been, I would say, worsened by digital and the internet. Because, mm. because we now have the screen between us when we interact, whether it's employee to employer or whether it's customer to provider, the temptation is to take all the friction out of the interaction. And, and, the, and the web is very good at that. But what it is not good at is capturing the joy, capturing the motivation and delivering that. It's now possible, I believe, digitally to have that quality of interaction and that quality of relationship in a way that, that hasn't been seen before. Uh, and that's that's very much the motivation to the book. I really love it because even if you take you know something like Zoom, it's it's a great tool, it's a great technology, it brings people together. But what happens before they get on the Zoom meeting also has an impact, right? No your 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 uh, mental state, your emotion, um, and um, so it's 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 really interesting because it changes the perspective uh, when when companies are you know, designing experiences. Um, so a lo lot to learn for a lot to learn for us, because we are all about scaling mentorship. And uh, we will definitely look at our mentors and mentees as what's in it for them? Why are they doing this? Looking right. at the intentions. So is being a seeker same as, you know, focusing on the intentions of the customer? Yes, it's, it's focusing. And you know, that's, a, uh, I, I say in the book, it's about outcomes. Which is, another, uh, which is another way of saying intentions, but it's really what are you looking to accomplish with this purchase or with this interaction? Uh, and I think, you know, to be practical about it, to add a practical lens, at some higher order of motivation of higher order of motivation, you always end up with happiness and joy. And I think at that point, it's impossible to design experiences purely for that. So it's sort of, I'm, I'm asking people to ask one or two questions behind the purchase. And that will give you the framework with which if, if I am in the business of selling clothing, you know, I can create a store and say, here's my apparel, it's, here's the price, here's the attributes of the clothing, here's the color, here's the style. Or I can say, you know, really the reason you're buying this clothing is because you're looking for a way to uh, have an evening out with friends. And I can design the experience for an evening out with friends and include the jewelry, include the trip, include uh, how I might share my style. And now all of a sudden I have built Stitch Fix, which is a very successful fashion uh, e-commerce site versus building a traditional retail department store online. And, and those are two very different qualities of experiences. I love it. I love it because ultimately the buyer has an outcome in mind that they're going to a party, 
that uh, they, they want to achieve a promotion or they want to launch a company and everything else that they're interacting with is towards that outcome. I, I really right. love it. It's a, it's a, you know, I always tell that, you know, business and life and, you know, spirituality, they're all inter, inter, intermingled and uh, so sort of connected. And uh, your book title really is, is one more example uh, to, you know, make the seeker really practical and yet have an emotional side to it. That's right. Um, right. You know, I was also thinking, you know, what we are seeing is this whole transition of the world into digital has been accelerated, you know, perhaps by a decade because of the pandemic. So your book is so such well, you know, so well timed. And uh, so what are you seeing in the industry in terms of trends uh, and uh, any insights as to what's what's to come and how can our listeners be better prepared? So I think you said it well, which is we've seen a massive acceleration. Uh, you know, there's a chapter in the book called the, you know, the R not of digital, which is really the, you know, the same way COVID spreads like a, uh, at, at a multiplicative rate. Uh, well, the good side of it is the digital has spread in a, in a multiplicative rate. Uh, and indeed, from our data, what we have seen is at least a five-year acceleration in the rate of adoption if on average e-commerce and digital has grown 15% year over year, it grew about 100% last year. And interestingly, it's sustained, even mm -hmm. as some of the offline you know, um, locations have opened up like stores and restaurants and so on and so forth. So it's, we've seen this acceleration and that uh, I think you can look at in a couple of different ways. For one, it makes the winners win faster and the losers lose, lose more quickly. Uh, and so, the, the lessons of the seeker and seeker centricity become even more acute and even more important. And we've seen that with our customers where the degree of urgency around digital initiatives has skyrocketed. It always used to be important. Now it's become urgent uh, mm. across the board. You know, I also think it's a particularly interesting experiment in consumer behavior and human behavior. One of the questions people ask me is, okay, are we all going to, what is this going to mean? Are we all going to live our life uh, in this digital ecosystem, Zoom land of, mm -hmm. of interaction? And what I believe is that we're going to see two booms as a result of, of the post-pandemic. Mm. One is an economic boom, because what we've known, what we've seen is that productivity enhancements in history create massive economic booms. We've seen that with the industrial age. We've seen that with the internet age. Now we see this with this age of sort of work from anywhere and collaborate from anywhere. That's going to create an explosion in productivity that's going to create economic gains for a wide range of sectors. And so that's the economic boom that I think we'll see. And we'll see innovation of, of all, in all sectors taking advantage of that. We will also see what I, what I think is, you know, and this is the optimistic side. I think we will see, I think we'll see a happiness boom. Mm. And what I mean by that, mm. what I mean by that is that you know, if, if for certain jobs, and I want to be careful to say that there's large sectors of the economy that will not benefit from this because of the nature of, of the bifurcation of income and inequality and all of these things. But for, for a lot of these sort of relatively digitally native jobs in a wide range of areas in telehealth and healthcare, you know, teleeducation, I mean, one, we have the opportunity at lower cost to provide high quality healthcare and education to people in a way that we've never been able to before. We've experimented with it. It's had its shortcomings, but it's still better to provide 
mediocre healthcare to people that had no healthcare than to provide no healthcare. So I, I think that there's a way we can reach people that's profoundly different that can create a level of happiness, even in a more white collar, you know, and digitally native job sector, you know, you used to commute an hour and a half a day. Now you get that back. Okay. What that means, I think, is at the end of the day, we're actually going to want to travel for pleasure more than ever before, because we still want to see our friends and family. We've learned that Zoom through friend, friends and family through Zoom is relatively <laughs> terrible. Now, it's pretty effective for high productivity work meetings, but it's not effective for, for getting to know friends and family. So we still want to go meet them in person. We're still going to travel for pleasure. In the evening, I think we're going to frequent restaurants and neighborhood parks and bars and social gathering points even more than ever before. Because after nine hours in front of Zoom, you want nothing more than to go hang out with people in person. So I think that's gonna create a degree of happiness that we haven't seen when we've all lived in a one and a half hour commute, you know, sit in a glass door office that, that we've had two, five days a week and travel two weeks a month. You know, I, you called it an optimism, but I think it's, uh, I, I really hope it's real, um, the so-called happiness boom, um, because most people are, are really also understanding the true definition of happiness. You know, um, the guy who actually put us in touch, you know, Raj City once in a, in a session, he asked, hey, can you all write down what makes you happy? And then believe it or not, everybody had their, you know, pens and papers out. And then he said, hey, it's, it's a tricky question. Happiness cannot be conditional because that condition will change and I don't want you to be unhappy. So, <laughs> so he said, let's make happiness unconditional. Yeah. And uh, the, the, I, I still remember that. And, but I think you know, the more I talk to people, their definition of what makes them happy has, has come down significantly. You know, having a nice meal with their family, being able to go see someone, you know, because people hated business travel because it was it was required, but people are now traveling to go see friends, see family. So I really hope, you know, out of everything, the happiness boom is, is you know, growing exponentially in the world. Um, now, I believe that, you know, I'm sure in your journey, you've had, you know, interesting people, you know, senior leaders, you know, maybe your parents, who had had an impact for impact on you? So, can you talk about you know one or two mentors who come to mind as someone who took active interest in you and your success? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I've had mentors throughout my life, and and so to give you a few um, examples, I mean, it definitely started with my parents. Who my father is a, a world-renowned researcher and and. Uh, and inventor of, of um, varieties of rice that are that are eaten by by billions of people across the world. So you know, from him, I would I would I would you know I've learned about excellence and just dogged pursuit of a goal and commitment to that and great sacrifice to make that happen. So you know that that's what I learned from him. From my mother, who is a um, an actress in India. Uh, she, you know, after, after getting married and, and uh, never having a, you know, a college degree or even a high school degree, I feel like we studied together as we grew up. And today she has two master's degrees and, and, uh, and so she has an unquenchable curiosity that I learned from her, you know, over the years and she's still learning today. Uh, and so, 
Wow. You know, my parents are amazing. Uh, they set a standard in a different way. Uh, but then, you know, along my professional, uh, along my professional journey, I had a, in my first, you know, entrepreneurial pursuit, you know, I was working in New York at, on Wall Street, and I didn't know anything about technology entrepreneurship whatsoever. And, and you know, somebody who I, I worked for said, hey, Raj, why don't you help us start this company? And I had a summer in between going back to business school. So I started working on it. And we ended up starting this business together that became my first entrepreneurial endeavor. And he was, you know, the initial investor and I helped get the business off the ground. And I did that at the age of 21 and we worked together for four years. And, and out of that, I discovered entrepreneurship as a career pursuit that has served me well for life. And I still credit him with giving me the opportunity first to do that. And then recognizing all the things I didn't know and making a bet on me, but then also you know, me recognizing that there was a point at which I knew enough to have the confidence to do it on my own. And, and, and so I've had early mentors there. And then more recently, you know, what I'll say is I treat every opportunity as a mentorship opportunity. I'm sort of at the mm. point in my career where I think, you know, um, it, it, I have board members that help me in different ways. I have colleagues that help me in different ways. I have family members that help me. I have my own personal sort of board of directors that help me in every, in every aspect of, you know, a professional accomplishment and personal accomplishment. And so instead of looking at it as here's my, my one mentor, I've started to look at it much more generally as, you know, I have specialist mentors that help me with different aspects of, of what I'm trying to get better at. And I count on them for that. And I count on myself to synthesize, apply judgment and do what makes sense. Fantastic. Do you remember the name of the, that uh, individual back when you were when you yeah. won? Yeah, so his name, his name is Michael Price, and he is, right. he's retired at this point, but um, was, was my boss's boss uh, in my first job. And then, and then we started a company together and he's remained a close friend ever since. Definitely. I, I extend my you know, deep gratitude to him for you know, mentoring you at such a young age. Um, so are you in touch with him? I am. Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. You know, at least once a quarter or, or maybe if not, uh, if not more frequently, you know, send him a thank you note. And uh, because gratitude is such an important aspect of mentorship, uh, because Mr. Price did it probably not because you, you're, you're going to help him in one way, but he just right. felt something good. Now, I want to ask you this question. You are so young, 21. You know, I don't know if you had your, this was your first company. What did you do for him to take interest in you? Because people tell me, oh, you guys in Silicon Valley, you're lucky. But I think great mentors find their mentees. So do you remember what, what, what were those attributes that made Mr. Price say, you know, Raj is someone I really want to spend my living time and really see him blossom in his own garden? Yeah, you know, I, I think the thing I did at that time was ask an incredible number of questions and, and then just acted. And what I mean by that is, I, I, I agree with you that very often, and I get this from our own team, hey, I need a mentor. And, you know, there aren't a lot of mentors walking around the world looking for mentees. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you know, if you're waiting for somebody to set that up, then you're probably gonna wait for quite a while. It was much more in the context of interactions, just, having the curiosity to ask questions. And then when, when we started to work on some things together, just sort of taking the ball and running with it and starting to do stuff. And in the context of doing stuff, interacting. 
because uh, then it became a natural, a natural part of the process. I never asked him to be a mentor and he never asked me to, me to mentee me. We just started doing things together. And out of that outgrowth came the kind of relationship that, that I look back on in retrospect and say, he was really a great mentor. Yeah, you know, in my book, I talk about surrounding yourself with, uh, you know, like a personal board of mentors. And you may not even call them as mentors, but you, right. we all need people who will take active interest about our success, whether it is life, you know, financial, personal, business, whatever it is. And, um, and you really want to have people in your life who are thinking about you even when you're sleeping. That's something I challenge people. So having mentors, not only in your time zone, but people in other parts of the time zone. So they are thinking about you and thinking about your success, thinking about opening new doors for you, even when you yourself are sleeping. Um, fantastic story. And um, now, do you actively mentor today? Have people, or have you found someone to say, here is a person you know, that I believe I can make an impact on? Yeah, and I've done it. I, I, I would say I've mentored many people for periods of time is probably the best way to describe it. I wouldn't say I have had a continuous relationship for 20 years with one individual, but I have, you know, mentored members of my team that have grown into leadership positions and I've worked with for eight or 10 years. And I think they would say I, I have played a big role in, in their career development and in their life. As part of my nonprofit work with the USTA, I mentor coaches, I mentor players. Uh, I mentor my own children, of course, uh, in a in a different way. Uh, so, so I think it's I, I mentor, you know, I'm I'm on the board of a of a startup, really, and and I'm only on the board of this company specifically because I I, I care deeply about the individual running it. And I told him, I don't know if your company is going to be successful or not, but I'm doing this for you because of you, mm. you, and so. I'm, you know, I, you, I hope you go find other board members, but if you really want me to do this, you should know where I'm coming from. I'm not, I'm not here to make money and I'm not here to be a domain authority in your company. You know, I'm here to help you personally succeed. Uh, and so, you know, I, I've tried to do that in a variety of different ways. And, and I think it is one of the great traditions of Silicon Valley is the giving back tradition. Um, it's one of the things that I find quite different about my time in Wall Street, which was very, very much, there's this sense of I make money and then I move on with life. And if you're not helping me make money, I don't do that. But I don't think that's, that's the tradition of Silicon Valley. The tradition of Silicon Valley is that there's always a great idea around the corner and that idea can come from anywhere. And it's our responsibility to, to help the next generation capture and, and uh, fulfill their ideas. Fantastic. And, um... You know, one of the th one of the reasons why I did ment why I do mentor cloud is to really remove boundaries, remove boundaries between the people who have such high aspirations, and their ability to be connected to the you know really good mentors who have the who have the heart in the right place and really want to see people flourish, and uh, whether you are in Silicon Valley or whether whether you are in Nigeria or India, you know you should have the opportunity and this digital world. You know, really makes that possible. You know, when I named the company Cloud, I was thinking about the real cloud. People thought I was thinking of Amazon Cloud and build a cloud uh -huh. software. But you know, a cloud is a collection, and I wanted Meta Cloud to be a collection of minds, and the cloud is also boundaryless. You know, so we can make this collection of minds boundaryless, so anyone anywhere can learn, 
and really accelerate their uh, you know path towards achieving their full potential um so i can see that you know you starting with your mentors by the way great story by uh, about your dad and your bottom about your mom you know deep respect to both of them and um, uh, it's 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 amazing how we get shaped so early in our life and uh, to to really have some like, like you mentioned about your dad right you know dogged pursuit of of a goal you know my dad was like that always serving he never went to college but he 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 was the top 100 insurance agents in india which is a big country yeah you know just by sheer hard work sheer focus and 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 my and my mom ran a family of seven kids you know it's not easy and and um, so it's amazing how much our parents are our first mentors whether we look at them that way or not so you know respect to both of them um now you're going to be on a world stage very soon and i see the the way you're going because the world is digital so if somebody asks you hey does mentorship work because that's a question i get asked a lot um what would you say whether they're young millennials or uh, a corporate executives i mean 100% mentorship works um and uh, you know i think it works if done right mm uh and and done right means without judgment without reservation on the mentor side uh, genuine desire to help which isn't always there but but can be there and then on the on the mentee side you know this desire to get better and uh and also to not not sometimes i find that on the mentee side you can kind of say okay i abdicate responsibility for my own goals because i now have this mentor and so all i have to do is listen to that person that's not how it works uh, it it's it, it is really your responsibility to make your own future and accomplish your goals the mentor is, is a resource to help get you there uh and and can be incredibly impactful in shaping that and and i can say even today i have independent board members for the company that i have today and and one of those board members is somebody who i would say is a couple of years ahead in career journey from where i am today and i get great wisdom from him but i'm also very comfortable telling him you know dismissing that wisdom and going on my own path fantastic and um, you know we cannot claim that we know everything right we have to learn from other people whether they are two years ahead of you or whether they are people like price that that uh, had an impact on you so early in 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 your life and um, you know to go back to your book you know the digital seeker really connects technology and humanity yes that, that's because when i when i talk about mentoring you know it is really learning and development but with a human touch and by naming your book the digital seeker i am really really excited about how you brought the human side of all of this because we are not machines you know machines don't buy on amazon people do right right that's right and 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 they do with an outcome like you mentioned that's right yeah i mean you know one of the there's a there's a table in the book that says what's the difference between a seeker and a customer and there's a list of you know 10 differences oh wow okay so there there's more the, to read There one of those differences though is that the customer is a left brain concept. It's it's actually very definable. It is a person who's interested in my product who spends a certain amount of money to buy it. That is the definition of a customer. The seeker 
is a right brain concept. It's not quite as definable. You, the seeker is somebody who has a motivation that is um, not as precise and it has to have emotional appeal rather than rational appeal. Because what you seek is always by definition emotional. What you, what you buy is by definition rational. So you translate an emotional need into a rational purchase. And that is one of the key differences between a seeker and a customer. Therefore, if you're building a digital experience that speaks only to the rational pursuit, you are building it for the customer, not the seeker. Unbelievable. You know, that last insight alone, I think every UX designer, every product designer, every website designer, I mean, your book is going to be a big seller. I mean, um, how is it doing so far, Raj? It's, you know, the, 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 thankfully the book is doing great. It is number four on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list uh, for business books. And so it's been, it's been well received. And I think it's, it's because it has a, a, it has a, theoretical basis in the seeker that I think is a, is a framework with which to, to do great things that reaches people, but also it's a practitioner's book. It's a book, if you're a designer, if you're a developer, if you're an e-commerce manager, if you're a marketer, for how you do the job in the seeker-centric way that moves, moves the ball forward. I mean, just the concept of the left brain purchase versus, versus the right brain itself is so profound. I mean, um, that's that's so amazing because, you know, it's it's not it's not someone just doing a transaction. There is so much more that happened before, and so much more that will happen with it, and so much more that happens after. Uh, you know, some transaction is only one one part of it, that's and right. if, if you build your entire company on that one part, then you, you're not getting the kinds of customers that the world will have in the future, right? I think. So are you saying that there are no more customers, but just seekers, seekers of experiences? Actually, actually what I'm saying is that behind every customer is a seeker. Hmm. And, every, and, and that the way the mind works is that you're a seeker and you translate that into being a customer of seven things. So I'm a seeker of a memorable family vacation. I'm a customer of the airline of the flight reservation, of the rental car company, of the tour excursion. I'm a possible customer of seven things. Now, I don't actually care about which airline or which uh, tour excursion company, I, but I care deeply about a memorable family vacation. So every seeker then does the hard work of creating a to-do list of seven things that they then become customers of. And, the, oh. and, and so, so if you don't get behind the customer, you don't ever really reach the seeker and the, whichever one of the seven reaches the seeker is the one that's going to succeed in the long term because they will have reached the underlying motivation and driven a level of loyalty that that um, that you will never have seen you know before i i love it i love it and uh, yeah are you seeing a lot i also seen your book about about the three a's yeah is it the ai and uh, yeah, ambient guys. Yeah, so the way those come into being is, let's say we say today, okay, great, Raj, you told me I need to build a seeker-centric experience. How do I do it? Um, well, then that's where technology plays a role. You've now said, I want to build a seeker-centric experience. Well, the first thing you need to do is you need to understand what the seeker seeks. And that's where, you know, in many ways, the ambient interfaces, the mobile devices, the interaction points, IoT, they give us signals. Mm. Then we need to make sense of those signals. And we can only do that in the human brain 
to a certain scale. So we use AI to pattern match, to understand what is the seeker really seeking? And then we use the APIs to assemble digital services together to deliver this amazing experience. So the, the technology underpinning of the three A's are enablers to then build these, these incredible seeker-centric experiences. I love it. In fact, at Mentor Cloud, uh, we're also launching something called Mentor Cloud Journeys. So really asking the mentees rather, what would you like to learn? And uh, so we are moving into what journey would you like to be on where you could, once you reach the destination that you're, you're really happy, that I want to be a better project manager. Uh, I want to learn how to pitch to investors. So we are actually sort of reorienting our technology into journeys and which is basically, you know, our own focus on the seeker, but I'm looking forward to reading your book in, it, in, in its entirety and learning more and using it as a guidance for all our internal developments and even our interactions, you know, don't look at customers, but look at the seeker behind the customer. A great lesson for, for everybody listening on the show. Um, I, I could go on, but uh, we're, we're always restricted by time. Um, so I just want to thank you, uh, Raj. Um, how can listeners learn about you? Where is your book available? And, um, you know, how can people learn more about your awesomeness? Thank you. Thank you for saying that. But uh... Yeah, so the book is available on Amazon and on any bookseller. It's called The Digital Seeker. So if you go to Amazon and search for The Digital Seeker or you just search on the web, you will find it in a variety of uh, locations uh, for purchase. Um, you know, uh, the company is called Bloomreach. And so if you're interested in learning about the software platform underneath that, it's bloomreach.com. And um, yeah, and, and, and you can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter and all the other social handles uh online as well fantastic raj i want to i want to particularly thank all your mentors mr price your your mom your dad and all the people that have shaped you to become who you are today that here you are sharing your wisdom you know not only just you know getting but also giving because the, that's what we are here for not to just get but also give what we get so so that it's it, it is the flowing river it is the waterfalls that people take pictures of. It is the giver that the world appreciates, you know, not the takers and not the accumulators. So yeah. with that, Raj, thank you so much. I've learned a lot. It's been a great conversation. And to all our listeners, um, look, look forward to seeing you on the next mentorship podcast. Uh, what you heard, what you learned from Raj is, you know, be that honest, aspiring human being, asking the right questions, taking actions to be discoverable, to be discovered, to be found by the greatest mentors who are out there. Let them find you. You know, let the, if, if a seed wants to germinate, it cannot be indoors, right? It has to be outside under the sun so it can, it can blossom. So be that individual out there sharing your goals and aspirations and dreams and let the greatest mentors in the world find you. Thank you all for listening. Raj, thank you once again for being on our show. We really enjoyed our conversation.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.